Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Being a parent is the most important, rewarding, and yet challenging role anyone can take on. Today, John brings us a helpful message from God's Word entitled, Four Things Every Parent Ought to Do. What I want to do in this message today is I want to give you four things that every parent ought to do. Whether you're a father or a mother or whether you're a grandparent, four things that every parent ought to do. And if you're listening today and you say, well, this sermon doesn't apply to me because I'm not a parent. Well, just because you're not a parent, that doesn't mean the sermon doesn't apply to you. I'm going to say some things today that can help you and hopefully be a blessing to you, whatever your status or state is in life, because as we're studying the Bible, I'm going to say some things today that will be very applicable to each and every one of us, but I think especially so to parents. But before we get into those four things, let's look in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 11. It says, Then Hannah made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head. So there was her prayer for a child. So look in verse 20 now. So it came to pass... In the process of time, I wish you to underline that little phrase, in the process of time. That's how answers come to our prayers, in the process of time. They don't always come immediately. And she didn't have Samuel immediately, but in the process of time she did. The Bible says, Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. And so they lived in a place called Ramah, but they went up to a place called Shiloh, about 15 miles from where they lived to offer up their uh, sacrifice and to worship God there. In verse 24, it says, now when she had weaned Samuel, so now he's about two or three years old, she took uh, him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Now look in verse 28. Hannah said, Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. Literally means I've given him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent or given or granted to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. And so there we see the story how God miraculously opened a womb that he had previously closed. And now Hannah is the mother of Samuel. And so that leads me as we think about this story and as we work our way through this story this morning, four things that every parent ought to do. Number one, and it's what Hannah did right off the bat, give your child to God. Give your child to God. After uh, God had blessed Hannah with Samuel and, and she had weaned him and he's now two or three years old, she did exactly what she promised God she would do. She traveled to Shiloh, 
with her husband, and she gave, she literally gave her child to Eli the priest, and in so doing, she was giving her child to God. She was saying, God, I prayed for this child, and I promised you if you would give me a child, I would give him back to you. So God, I'm bringing him here to you today. I'm bringing him to your house, and I'm offering him uh, uh, back to you that he could spend his whole life in service of you. And so let me ask you today, those of you who are parents, you have kids, have you ever given your child back to God? Now, probably most parents would say, well, yeah, I did that. I I gave my child back to God six months after he was born or six months after she was born. We had a dedication service down at the church, and and the minister, the pastor, uh, prayed over that child, and and we dedicated that child back to God. Well, that's a wonderful thing, and we start a lot of our services here with baby dedications. It's always a... uh, a great thing. But let me say this to you. Just because you went through a baby dedication at the church, that doesn't necessarily mean that you truly gave your child to God. You may have just gone through the dedication because that's what you're supposed to do. But while the dedication was taking place, your mind may have been a thousand miles away. And you were kind of going through the motions of dedicating a baby, just like some people go through the motions of getting baptized, and it doesn't really mean anything to you. And so the question is, have you truly given your child to God? And have you said to God, God, this little boy, this girl, we prayed for this child, you gave them to us, him or her to us. And so, God, what we do now is we put them back in your hands, and we ask you to do whatever you want to do in the life of this child. If you want to make them a missionary and send them to Africa, God, he's your child. If you want to send them somewhere else to serve you in some other way, God, they're your child. Whatever you want to do, we give that child to you. Now, as you start thinking about that, and you look back on when you dedicated your child to the Lord, and for some of you, it's been a long time, and yet... You, you look back on it and you say, well, you know, I went through the dedication service, but I'm not sure that I ever really released that child into God's hands. Let me tell you something. It's never too late. In your heart, if your child is grown and you say, you know, I've been worrying about my kid and my kid's not doing right by God and they're not walking with God. Well, let's go back to the beginning and answer this question. Have you truly given your child to God? Because if you've given that child to God, that child is in God's hands. That child is now God's responsibility. And especially if that child's grown, there's not anything else you can do. Well, there are things, but as far as being responsible for that child, that season of life is past. But you could even today just pray and say, you know, God, I spend a lot of time worrying about my kids. Or I spend a lot of time worrying about my grandkids. And when they were little, I dedicated them to you. But maybe that was more of a formality than it was a really giving them to you from my heart. And so, God, today what I want to do is just from my heart to your heart, I place my child in your hands. And instead of worrying about them and staying up nights wondering if they're ever going to get back going the right way, I'm going to trust you to take care of my child. So I encourage every parent today, no matter how young your child or how old your child, put that child into God's hands and trust God with that child. And if you're trusting God with your child, you don't have to worry about your child because now your child is in the hands of God. So that's the number one thing every parent ought to do. Give your child to God. Number two thing every parent ought to do is simply this. Give your child an example to follow. Give your child an example to follow. Did you know a child's greatest need is a role model? A child needs somebody that they can look up to. And when kids are young, that child's parents can do no wrong in that kid's eyes. 
Because the child loves his mom, loves his dad, and whatever the kid sees his parents doing, that's what that child is going to do. And whatever the kid sees his parents doing, that's what the child is going to assume you're supposed to do in life. And I've noticed something uh, when it comes to the parent-child relationship. It seems like, I'm sure there are exceptions to this, but I think for the most part, this is a true statement. Whatever a child sees his parents do in moderation, that child will end up doing in excess. Because a child is always going to push the limits. And so, for example, if you, around your family, if you use bad language in moderation, you don't do it often, but every now and then you use bad language. So your kids hear you saying things that you ought not to say. Well, that says to that kid, well, my mom sometimes uses bad language or my dad sometimes uses bad language. And so what does that say to that child? It says to that child, there must not be anything wrong with using bad language. Because again, to a child, a parent can do no wrong. The parent is the role model. Or take another example. If a parent or if parents, if they skip church in moderation, in other words, they come to church, you know, Sometimes, but not all the time. So that child is being raised in a home where you go to church, but you don't necessarily go to church all the time. You go to church unless there's a ball game or unless there's something else to do. Uh, If it's nothing else going on, then you go to church. And so that's how that child was raised. That child was raised moderately skipping church. Well, anything a child sees done in moderation, he's going to do in excess. And so... That child comes along, that child now is a teenager, that child now can drive, now that child even a little older than that, that child's off in college, and that child says to himself, well, you know, our parents skipped church in moderation, so that must be okay. That child pushes that to the limits, and that child says, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip church in excess. And you can just apply that to any area. Whatever a child sees his parents do in moderation, there is a probability that that child will end up doing that in excess. At least it's a possibility, and uh, in many times that is exactly what happens. And so I encourage you to give your child an example to follow. Now, you're not going to be perfect. Nobody is perfect. We're all imperfect. In fact, part of the example you want to give to your kids is when you mess up, apologize. When you say something you shouldn't say, tell your kids you're sorry. If a kid can see their parents admitting they were wrong, taking responsibility, that says to that child, well, you know what, when I do wrong, I need to take responsibility. If I, uh, if I say something I shouldn't say or do something I shouldn't do, then I need to accept responsibility and I need to do that. Let me, let me ask you this. If your kids or your grandkids, if they just sat down and said, I'm going to make a list of all the lessons that my dad has taught me, or all the lessons that my mom has taught me, or even all the lessons that my grandmother or grandfather has taught me, or if you're an aunt or an uncle, and uh, you say, I'm going to make a list of all the lessons my aunt or my uncle has taught me. You're in some kind of an authority figure over those kids. What would they be able to write down? Back in the late 1990s, my mother was diagnosed with celiac disease. Celiac is a disease that it eats away at the lining of your small intestine. It can, it's a very serious disease. It's all caused by diet. It's caused by, by gluten, which is a protein found in many grains and, and certainly in flour and all kind of bread. You can't eat any of those foods if you have celiac disease. And so when my mom got diagnosed with that, she had to learn a whole new diet. She and my dad both, they started reading 
uh, and studying and learning. What can you eat? What can you not eat? How do you cook a meal? How should we not cook a meal anymore? Which restaurants can we go to? And I can remember there was a, a doctor here in town who uh, has celiac, and he found out my mother had it. And he called my mom and said, hey, they don't even go to our church. They go to another church here in town and said, listen, I want to just tell you some things I've learned and some, some things you can eat, restaurants you can go to, what you can order so that you won't get in trouble with your diet. And so through the years, as I watched her go through that and make that adjustment, I saw her make all kind of dietary changes, cooking changes, all kind of changes. But you know one thing I never saw or never heard? I never heard my mother complain. I just saw her you know what? This was the hand she had been dealt, and she played that hand, and she never complained about it. And from that, I learned, make the most out of your situation in life. Now, she never, got the, she never called all the family and said, hey, y'all come over to the house, and I want to give you a little sermon tonight about, you know, God and celiac, or lessons I've learned. No, she didn't do that. Just the way she lived. And she never even said to us, make the most out of your situation in life. It's just something that as I watched how she was dealing with that, she made the most of it. Now, I'm saying live your life in such a way that your kids will watch you, your grandkids will watch you, and they will say, so that's how a Christian goes through hard times. That's how a child of God responds to adversity. That's what somebody does when the going gets tough. They make the most out of it, and they keep on keeping on. Have you given them an example that they can follow? That's the second thing that every parent ought to do for their children. Number one, give them to God. Number two, give them an example to follow. And number three, and I think this is so very important, give that child wings to fly. Give that child wings to fly. In other words, as I look at the world of parenting, it seems to me that a parent's primary responsibility is to work himself or herself out of a job. I think that's parenting uh, in a nutshell. And I'm not even a parent. But I have parents, and I've watched the world, and I pay attention to what's going on, and I think that pretty much says it all right there. The job of a parent is to work himself or herself out of a job. That is, to teach your child to make his or her faith their own. They, don't, they can't live on your faith, so they have to have their own faith. God has to become real to them. And not only that, but to teach that child responsibility and to teach that child independence. The whole raising up process, you're preparing to send that kid out into the world. Now, in 1 Samuel, look in chapter number 3, because down in verse number 7, we read an interesting thing where God was calling Samuel. Samuel's in bed. He hears a voice. He thinks it's Eli the priest. He goes to see what Eli wanted. Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And this happened and happened and happened. And finally, Eli discerned that it was God who was calling this young man. By this time, uh, Samuel's probably 12, 13, maybe 14 years of age. So he's a little bit older. But look in verse 7. It says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord revealed to him. And so at this time in Samuel's life, he didn't know God in a personal way. His dad did, Elkanah did, his mother certainly did, Hannah was a godly woman, but that was their faith. But Samuel didn't have his own faith, God wasn't real to him, he didn't know God in a personal way, and yet it was here, alone, away from his parents, away from his hometown, that God became real to him. And so really, for the first time in Samuel's life, he begins to take his own, he begins to use his own wings, and he begins to fly for himself. And I'm saying today... The, one of the greatest things a parent can do for a child is not only give that child roots, 
But to give that child wings and let that child fly and to give that child freedom to mess up, to make some mistakes out there. We all made plenty of mistakes growing up. Well, you know what? That's part of the growing up process. And so our parents, when we were teenagers and even uh, older, a little older than teenagers going through college, our, what were our parents doing? Well, they're giving us wings and they were giving us freedom. And they were saying, you know, we can't uh, keep you in our house forever. You've got to go out there in the world. You've got to learn for yourself. It's interesting. In preparing for this sermon, I came across a poem that I had never read. And the name of the poem is called Roots and Wings. And it's by a man named Dennis Waitley. And I want to read you this poem. It's not too long of a poem, but it's written from the perspective of a child. And it's written saying, as a, as a child, this is what this child wants more than anything else from his parents. And so let me just read this to you. If I had two wishes, I know what they would be. I'd wish for roots to cling to and wings to set me free. Roots of inner values like rings within a tree and wings of independence to seek my destiny. Roots to hold forever and keep me safe and strong. To let me know you love me when I've done something wrong. To show me by example and help me learn to choose. To take those actions every day to win instead of lose. Just be there when I need you to tell me that it's all right to face my fear of falling when I test my wings in flight. Don't make my life too easy. It's better if I try and fail and get back up myself so I can learn to fly. If I had two wishes and two were all I had and they could just be granted by my mom and by my dad, I wouldn't ask for money or any store-bought things. The greatest gifts I'd ask for are simply roots and wings. And so, I encourage each parent out there today, certainly to give your children roots, spiritual values, and an example to follow. But as they get older, begin the process, and it's not for me or anybody else to tell you how to do that or when to do that, but begin the process under the leadership of God of giving those kids wings, giving them freedom, let them, let them go out there and fly and fail and fall, and that's all right. They'll be okay and get back up and fly again. Give them roots and then give them wings. Now, as we think about four things that every parent ought to do for their child, I've said, first of all, every parent ought to give their child to God. I mean, really put them in God's hands and don't worry about them. Trust God with them. Number two thing is give your children an example to follow. Number three, give your kids uh, wings so that they can fly. And then number four, and this is the last thing, and that is... Never stop praying for your kids. Now, I know some of you today listening to this message and you're thinking, man, in light of what you've said, I wish I could turn back time and my kids could be 10 years old again and I could maybe be a better example or I could more fully put them in God's hands or I could have given them wings uh, more gradually. I, I just wish I could have, could have done that differently. Well, I'm sure if we could all go back in life, there are a lot of things we would do differently. But we can't go back. We live where we are now. And what I'm saying to you is this. No matter how young your child is, no matter how old your child is, no matter how closely your child is walking with God or how far your child may be from God, your kid may have, have turned completely away from God. Walked away from not only the church, but walked away from God. Hadn't been to a church service in years and years. And I know a lot of parents and a lot of grandparents who the burden of their heart is that their child would come back to God. And they don't see it happening. I'm encouraging you today, mom, dad, grandmother, grandfather, never stop praying for that child. Because you don't know what God might do yet. 
in that child's life. Now, I want to close today by reading a story from, from a book that uh, I guess my dad probably gave me this years ago. And uh, it's just a tremendous, tremendous book. It's written by a man named L.R. Scarborough, who at one time was the president of Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. And he's telling a story that I think is the best Mother's Day story that I've ever heard. And he's telling the story about a pastor named George W. Truett, who for many years pastored the First Baptist Church in Dallas. And it's still a great church today, but at the time Dr. Truett pastored it, and Dr. Criswell pastored after him, it was probably the largest church in the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the largest churches in the nation. So it's just got an incredible history. But I want to just read you this, because it's telling about a mother's prayers and how this particular mother prayed for her child and how God answered these prayers. He said, I've heard Dr. Truett tell the story of an incident that happened in his church in Dallas. He said there was a very devoted old woman who lived out in a house of two rooms on a back street in the suburbs of the city of Dallas. She had a very wicked son, just one child, and she herself was a widow. This boy had lived most of his time in a saloon and had broken his mother's heart. For five years, he had refused to go with her to church. One evening, the boy was in his room on his bed asleep, and it came into his mother's heart to walk softly in her stocking feet into his room and kneel at the bedside and ask God to let her carry her boy to the church with her that night. And kneeling there, her tears and emotions and deep-stirred soul got the best of her and expressed themselves in sobs, and it awakened the boy. He jumped up and said, Mother, what's the matter? And she said, Oh, I beg your pardon. I did not mean to waken you. I came in here to pray that God would let me take you with me to preaching to hear my pastor preach tonight. He said, Mother, if you will never ask me again, I'll go tonight. She said, I can't make that promise to you. I'm going to follow you like any mother would down to the grave. He finally consented to go. He waited until late on purpose because he wanted the crowd to be there so that he could sit at the back. Finally, they got there. There were only two seats left on this Sunday uh, evening service right at the door. The mother let him go in first and she sat at the end. A great throng was there. I wish you could see that picture. Now use your imagination as Dr. Truett describes it. There is the boy on the back seat with the mother between him and the door. That door leads to the street, and that street leads to the saloon, and that saloon leads to hell. Oh, how many men there are in this world. All between them and hell is the love of a mother. The preacher preached as only he can preach. And after the sermon, he gave the invitation. He said, is there anyone here tonight who wants to be saved? God's power in answer to that mother's prayer took hold of that boy. Finally, he started down the aisle. And before he had gotten halfway down, he had given his heart to Christ. And so here's a mother whose son was living a worldly, wicked, godless life, and she never stopped praying, and she never stopped inviting him to church. And on this particular night, he went with his mother to church, and he got saved. And I want to say to you, mom, dad, grandmother, grandfather, praying for that child, maybe they're a teenager, maybe they're a young adult, maybe they're middle age in life, and they know better than what they're doing. They have nothing to do with the God of the church. Here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Never stop praying for your children. Now, here's what I also know. 
People listening to these programs and watching these services all over, all over everywhere, not just here in Pasadena. Could it be today that you're watching this service because your mother's been praying for you? She's been praying for you. You say, well, my mother's already gone to heaven. You know what? Your mother's probably still praying for you in heaven. She's probably still asking God, God, please don't let my son die. Don't let my daughter die till they get right with you. And maybe today God wants to do the same thing for you. He did with this young man in Dallas that night. He wants to save you. Would you like the Lord to save you? He will if you ask him. Won't you pray with me now? Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Please make me the person you created me to be. In your name I pray, amen. For those of you who have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.